0: The most bizarre sex scene of the show thus far
1: Was it bizarre or was it just Good <laughs> <laughs> Hello and
2: welcome To the death of the Roman Republic's Review of the 2005 HBO original series Rome We are on HBO's Rome Season 1 Episode 8 Caesarian. Uh, another episode that uh, has a gigantic time jump, covers a wide breadth of history, and taking the lead this week is our very own Cole. So Cole, what went down this episode in Caesarian?
0: Well, uh, a lot went down this episode, and we'll, we will get more into that as we get there, but uh, the episode starts with a, a pretty simple scene. It's Brutus returning home from his, uh, his time with Caesar, he and Servilia. See each other and they hug. It's a nice little family moment. They both seem very exhausted.
3: I kind of felt that Servilia was a little indifferent to Brutus's return, given the previous episode. We find out we find out that she thinks that he's dead because they don't know anything, and then starts sleeping with Octavia because of it, and. I kind of question if she actually is static to see her son home. Obviously, I obviously they're exhausted, but it makes me kind of question, like, how does she is there a time where we find out that he's a that she finds out that he's alive? No, with, there's not. And we just don't see it off screen, off screen. Oh, where oh we see oh, the reaction. Okay where she has the reaction and this is very much just like I'm it's hard to believe yada yada yada
1: my my read on this bp is that it's it's a complicated situation right on one hand Servilia is of course happy to see that her son Brutus is alive but for Brutus to be back in Rome means that Pompey has well failed and Brutus has surrendered which means Caesar has won and uh, that is not something that Servilia uh, is very happy to hear at this point in time, and so you know it is. Uh, there's there's a lot of emotions going on.
2: Well, it's so much has changed to say last they saw each other, and it's also just like a severe lack of emotion we see in their reunion. Like Servilia nor Brutus even smiles it's all kind of very cold and Brutus even looks kind of confused as she just walks away they don't even speak any words like mm-hmm. they like so like they they split apart because Servilia was committed to Caesar uh which has since drastically changed and now Brutus has pledged allegiance to him and gosh since last they spoke uh the whole world has turned upside down and they both have to process that I suppose but it was oddly cold does
3: Off screen, because we know later on, we know that she hasn't heard anything on this. Does she find out off screen, like before he arrives home, that he actually has sided with Caesar? And that's partially why she can be kind of cold to him. Possibly.
0: Anyways. Reasonable explanation. Uh, We then cut to the newsreader. He's announcing that Cicero and Brutus, uh, as well as some other random people that we haven't met, have received a pardon from Caesar and are not to be harmed. I am correct about that, right? The those other names were just like random people they yeah. weren't characters were not characters are familiar with.
2: I'll I'll shout them out real quick. Some of them we've heard of, some of them we haven't. But we got Casca, Cicero, Gaius Cassius Longinus, and Brutus. Got a shout out
1: there. I also thought this is really interesting because in this moment, um, we hear the news say the traitor Pompey, mm. which before he was not the traitor, but obviously there is a uh, head honcho in town, Caesar, who uh, is in. Well he's in charge now so his enemy is the traitor. Did, wait the traitor. did he say traitor? I
2: heard him say sleepy Pompey Magnus <laughs> I got it.
0: All right so Caesar and his forces arrive in Egypt. Caesar and some of his men enter what seems to be a temple or like a palace. I'm not really sure what this this building was. it, it was a palace yeah yeah okay They're introduced to Ptolemy 12 13 12 was the the dad. And uh, he is a, he's a child. and I'm glad to see that I remembered that correctly. So go me. Caesar attempts to greet him, but is interrupted by all the religious cult-esque chanting around him. And some of them look at him and laugh about this.
3: I, especially after talking in the previous episode about this, how a lot of the budget went towards the scenery and production design on this show. May I just say Egypt the way they've constructed it, it looks gorgeous they I want to give a major shout out to those behind the scenes workers for crafting those set pieces because and the cinematographer for making it look, that gorgeous. Yeah, like
2: I had complimented Rome earlier for just the way it's constructed, the way it looks, the culture. It makes you feel like you're in a very different world. Um, Egypt is a beast apart from Rome across the mm-hmm. Mediterranean Ocean. Like you're thrown literally quite into a whole new kind of world with valleys and tradition and clothing and everything. So yeah. yeah.
1: And it's not like we're just in one specific place in Egypt too. Like there's multiple settings over the span mm-hmm. of the episode. So multiple set pieces.
0: We cut to Polo He is sharpening a knife while some Egyptian youths throw rocks at him. I'm not quite sure what outcome they wanted out of this, but uh, Polo gets mad and starts stomping towards them and throws a rock back at them. They run away, and his fellow soldiers laugh at him.
1: Polo does not seem happy to be out of Rome and back uh, in the Legion again. (laughs) Yeah, he seems uh, hot. Yeah.
0: That is a word for it.
3: He's got some descriptions about that weather, and we'll talk about that. (laughs) Caesar Uh later on tells
0: Ptolemy and his men, he will not be there long. They ask if they can help with whatever it is he's there for. He ignores the question and asks about their war preparations. They're confused and say, what? We don't have any war war planned. What What are you talking about, Caesar? That's crazy. Caesar then brings up Cleopatra. And she disputes Ptolemy's right to the throne. Ptolemy speaks for the first time and demands that he not speak of Cleopatra again, and starts uh, swearing about her. So you know we've uh, we've learned not all children in this show can be as cool as Octavian. But you
1: hey, don't want to you don't want to quote Ptolemy directly.
0: Uh, I do not.
1: Okay. Okay. I. I'm
3: really biting my words from the very first episode when I said Octavian is such a brat because oh was I not prepared to meet this hey, kid
1: because Ptolemy's a king he's earned it He is, <laughs> he is the blessings of the gods Robert yeah the, specifically.
0: the the bedge and the seat whatever whatever they were
1: claiming about him the the sedge and the bee
0: yeah I, I was almost there Ptolemy's slave. Minder, Priest, I know is a eunuch, but that's what I wrote in the, the initial, like, writing of this paragraph when it became clear later on who he was, but uh, I was very confused about what role this guy played. Says, uh, she's made some absurd claim. They say she's of no concern but Caesar counters that one of her men could raise ten legions to form an army and that would cause problems for them. They insist that she is nothing to worry about. Caesar asks where she is and they claim not to know, but believe her to be in the South. Posca tells Caesar that they are lying and that they have her. I'm not quite sure how Posca is aware of that information or maybe he's just putting together that they're lying, but hey, good for him. If
3: I may say, I think Posca being near Caesar for all this time, has kind of given pasco a little bit of leeway in terms of political knowledge and sitting across from somebody knowing who's telling the truth and who's not i think just him being around caesar and in those political meetings for so long he's kind of started to pick things up. bp i just want to
2: make sure the character's name is pasca I, i are you saying pasco i said pasca oh okay okay
1: I I think it's his job to be privy, honestly. It's like Mm. he is Caesar's, you know, servant who does everything for him and advises him frequently. And so to know what is happening around the Roman world is his duty.
0: Fair enough. Caesar says that they should make peace because Rome desires it so and wants their grain ships to keep sailing because the Egyptian grain ships are what make sure that Rome does not starve. They insist that Egypt is under control. Caesar then says that they should have no trouble handing over Pompey if everything's so under control. Ptolemy does not like his tone and demands that Caesar leave immediately. He is counseled against this by his little group of advisors and then they end up uh, agreeing to show him the little present they have for him. The little present they have for him is Pompey's severed head. (sighs) every cloud has a silver lining i was right about who did it at least
1: God.
3: <laughs> i also want to give you a shout out for this cole because i know we were kind of on the same page to how caesar would react to pompey's death in this episode and you hit it it you hit the nail in the coffin with this one where it was
1: uh, That's almost
0: a phrase.
3: Caesar. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it is a saying. It's used for a different thing, but go on.
3: Uh, Caesar said, even if Pompey, even if Pompey was an enemy, that he would not have wanted Pompey to die the way that he did. And I think that I want to give you a special shout out for that.
1: This is a great, this is a great moment. This is a fantastic moment. I, I'll talk about it more in detail later, but uh, Caesar as a character is really coming into his own throughout uh last episode in this we see a lot of dynamics highs and lows and uh good stuff good stuff to see him just so torn up about pompey's death
2: i, I was gonna say here it's like um this is one of the most famous scenes from rome probably like a uh, caesar he's instantly overcome with anger he shames the house of Ptolemy. the egyptians don't understand it all because it's like we did you a favor without asking <laughs> he and, was your uh, enemy <laughs> uh and and i i wanted to have um uh uh, a caesar off as it were at the present i want everyone to do their best he was a consul of rome julius caesar style do, do we need me to start yes all right so fellas when you do this make sure you back up on your mic a little bit
1: <laughs> good, holding it out
2: <laughs> he was a consul of rome that there was case there was case who's up next he was a consul of rome <laughs> better better jacob he was a consul of Rome! G- going for the impression, BP. Okay.
1: Not bad. He
0: uh, he was a consul of Rome. <laughs>
2: Perfect. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Excuse me. <Suburbania>. <laughs> that, that. <laughs> Cole killed BP with the la- the healing power of laughter.
0: That's <laughs> yeah, what I'm here for. Uh, my uh, last note on this scene is that... Uh, Caesar thinks Pompey deserved better. Me and you both, pal. Agree. Uh, We then cut to night. Caesar is cremating Pompey's head and praying. I'm assuming for his, like, safe passage to the afterlife. Which is, you know, it's a a nice little touching scene.
2: We, like, we see tears actually falling on his face on the bonfire. Mm -hmm. And, like, guys, I'm so curious. Because I still don't know where I land on this. Like, how much of this is like real from caesar and real grief and how much of it is political theater because we've seen him perform both we've seen him blow up at Verenus for not killing him and now that pompey's actually dead he's crying over it and the thing is he's surrounded by his soldiers his men in a private ceremony like he doesn't need to grieve for pompey he's not in front of any politician or anything like that but nonetheless these tears fall so yeah i possibly i guess uh he holds both in his heart, but what do you guys think?
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think both can be true at the same time because Pompey was his enemy and his pure existence, like, would always be a problem for Caesar's potential rule. But, uh, like, he was fond of him at the same time. And so, uh, I think, I think absolutely both are true.
3: I think there is some genuineness to it because when he is shedding the tears, he's not facing any of his soldiers. He is stepping much closer to the cremation of Pompey's severed head. So I do think it's a little bit of both, but I definitely think a lot of it is more genuine because he's shedding those tears, not in front of his soldiers. So it it doesn't feel as fake since it isn't in front of anybody directly.
0: I was thinking something similar. I could buy that maybe his, uh, his reaction in front of Ptolemy and his group, uh, I think, was real, but I think there might have been some, some theater put on. He might have been enhancing how like, upset he was, but this like funeral scene, I, I feel like that was certainly genuine. But uh, Caesar is told they can leave whenever they want. He instructs Antony to take half of the soldiers and leave immediately. It is his job to return and inform the people of Rome about what has happened to Pompey. Caesar plans to settle things before he leaves. He wants to get involved in the brewing civil war. Ostensibly to ensure that Rome doesn't have a grain shortage, but methinks revenge may be partially at play here.
1: Hmm.
0: You know, they'd kill two birds with one stone. I understand. He doesn't intend to fight, merely arbitrate. Antony believes him to be underselling the difficulty of this task, and Pascha agrees with him. They worry that Ptolemy will use Caesar as an enemy to rally his people around, but Caesar is confident it will work out because Ptolemy is just a boy.
1: It's okay. only hubris if I fail.
2: Oh, yeah. No, like, um, uh, God, like, I mean, Caesar is great. I had great... That
0: written down in my next paragraph. Thanks, man. I just said that Anthony reminds Caesar that Cato and Scipio are still against him. And Caesar says that he will defeat them, too. I didn't quote Anthony here exactly. I just put he's worried that Caesar has grown arrogant. I did put Caesar's quote here and that it's only hubris if I fail.
2: It, it is so funny that Mark Antony points out that Caesar might have a hubris problem. Like, if Mark Antony <laughs> is telling you you might have an issue in that regard, like, <laughs> you need to go to therapy.
1: <laughs> Reflect, man. Reflect.
2: I
3: also kind of wonder what Caesar's reaction would have been had Antony said this in front of other subordinates of Caesar because or a possible enemy because a few episodes ago we talked about caesar mentioned to not ever question him again in front of especially in front of enemies and Antony's kind of pulling
2: pulling those cards again I, mean, I, I don't
0: bit. think he would have i just don't think he would have said that stuff in front of like ptolemy or anyone else
2: I think that in this episode and this scene is emblematic that Caesar is in his Antony era. Like he's away from Rome. There's no other Roman politicians he has to appeal to. He can just, uh, get down in the mud as, as much as he wants and do whatever he wants. And he's like, he's, uh, he's feeling as powerful as he'll ever feel having defeated Rome's best general, uh, even if it was not in a way that he would have wanted, but his, his quote earlier, it's like, I've conquered Gaul. I've defeated Pompey Magnus. I think I can handle a small boy and a eunuch. Like uh, uh, this episode is just the most uh, swagger that we've seen from Caesar thus far, I think. And it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's mm-hmm. a cool side to see.
0: Uh, I agree, but I'm uh, moving on it. At- Caesar instructs Varinus to find Cleopatra and treat her with respect because she is of royal blood, and to obey her within reason. Varinus is apologetic because he believes that things with Pompey ended the way they did because of him. Caesar agrees and dismisses him, which, cold but fair, Ptolemy is carried into his meeting with Caesar. Caesar asks for Pompey's killer and is told that he has run away. Caesar tells them to find him. Caesar also demands the money owed to Rome by the previous Ptolemy. Oh, that reminds uh, I forgot to say uh, in the previous scene where he's asking about uh, the rest of Pompey's body, and they say, oh yeah, it was cremated and given full funerary rites. I was kind of doubtful they had actually done that. Anyone else?
1: I don't know, yeah, I guess it's like, maybe. I, I don't know what the culture would have been like if it was for like, you know, just total... Strangers or potential enemies for them to do that, or but if if I don't know, I, I I am led to believe them just because they already made the wrong with the head. Like I don't know, they could have done much worse, but I, I don't know. Hard okay. to say.
0: Ptolemy in his court, O Rome, seventeen thousand thousand drachma. I'm assuming that's seventeen million, but I'm not super clear
2: i guess so a thousand of thousands is a million yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: the eunuch believes this to be too high and pasca tells him oh yeah that that's not all just you guys Uh, that's also like the debt pompey and his like cohorts accrued but pompey can't pay that now because you killed him so by law that falls to you and the eunuch is angry says this is unfair because that is roman law and uh, it shouldn't apply to them Caesar then insults the man.
2: Well, Caesar says, uh, is is there some other form of law? Baller, Mm -hmm. baller (laughs) lying.
0: The eunuch then apologizes. Ptolemy walks over and throws the demand at Caesar's feet. He continues to be a child. His advisors are not pleased about this. Caesar chastises him and Ptolemy grows angrier. Caesar interrupts him and tells him to sit down. Ptolemy quietly does so.
1: Sit down, little puppy. Bark, bark. I'm Caesar.
2: I well, straight up calls him a vassal, which is uh, not really true at this point, but uh, de yeah, facto. I, so I was wondering about that. It's a big insult.
0: Caesar asks when he will receive his payment. They reluctantly inform him that the issues of Cleopatra have cost them money and they can't pay him yet. Seems like they were underselling how much of a problem she was earlier. Caesar, as magnanimous as he is, lowers the amount that they owe to ten thousand thousand. He is told that it will take some time to collect that. Caesar says he will use this time to work out the whole Cleopatra, Ptolemy throne issue. They like the idea quote unquote but say that they don't know where she is. Caesar tells them that he will find her. Varinus is joined by Polo on his quest for Cleopatra because of course he is.
2: Buddy cop again on the hunt.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Polo derides the Egyptian gods, and Varinus tells him to show some respect, which I thought that was really cool that Varinus is like, yeah, this uh, country's been around for a long time. These gods are old and powerful. Like, show them some respect.
1: Fits Varinus to a T. To a I, mm-hmm.
2: I had just written down myself that Polo was just being racist and then doubled down on it a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I also want to note here, they are hanging out by a giant head. And I promise that'll come up later. Not to do with this episode, but giant head. Remember that.
1: Okay.
0: Okay. Polo complains. Verena suffers it. The status quo. <laughs> <laughs> Ptolemy is irate about how Caesar spoke to him and is told that if they don't pay him, he will simply just side with Cleopatra and give her the throne and that this is simple extortion. Ptolemy does not believe Caesar will find Cleopatra. His advisors do not share that confidence. They decide they must kill her. Men are sent to do the deed. These men run by Varinus and Polo, and they begin to give chase. Now, I want to just make sure I I understood this whole thing correctly. Was the the little picture that Varinus had of a guy, was that the guy that they sent after Cleopatra?
2: No, that was Niobe. Do- yeah. Well, I was, you know, I was not quite sure. I was thinking, like, is this Niobe or is it a sketch of Cleopatra so Varinus recognizes her? But I do lean Niobe on that.
1: Just to remember his past life. There there was a
3: conversation with Varinus and Polo in their last brief conversation when Polo is being racist uh, where Caesar says that this has sent them to wait there and uh polo said when do how do we know who to look for and verinas just says caesar said we will know what they will look like and i think that that was them caesar that this was a good strategy by caesar because he knew that they were going to send people out to kill cleopatra so he sends Verenus and polo to scout on the trail and i think that that was a very good strategy by caesar.
2: it's it's a beautiful irony um and the only other example i can think of is like uh the story of Oedipus, where it's like you try to prevent something, and your action trying to prevent it sets it in motion. That the warriors ride out to kill Cleopatra, and that is what leads Verenus and Polo to Cleopatra.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: at night, the men arrive to where Cleopatra is being held, and uh, I just want to give my first overall note for the, the introduction to Cleopatra: visible confusion. <laughs> Because this is a this is a weird scene. Uh, we enter and it shows her like she's chained to the bed. She's asleep. The lead man wishes to speak with her. Uh, the slave that is with her uh, wakes her up and she's like slap me. So the slave slaps her and then she says is it day or night? And she says it's night. And in a weird voice she says he may enter. Like it was what she's like he may enter. Like it's just super weird like didn't come off as her natural voice at all
2: well she's also got that like uh opium pipe right next to her like she's been smoking xan for days or
0: something <laughs> you're, you're getting a little ahead of me my friend uh, my next line is she seems so out of it that i think she wandered off the set of euphoria
2: <laughs> from one
1: hbo show to another
2: mm-hmm.
3: jacob how would you know you've never seen tv before he, okay there. hold
2: on hold on he can be aware of the existence <laughs> of other tv shows like let's yeah, get the, he the internet right here
1: Yeah.
0: (laughs) She is informed that she's about to die. The men enter and ask for her final words. She starts praying. Fighting starts outside. Our boys have arrived. Polo enters the tent from the other side, and a fight scene ensues after a tent standoff. Polo wins and stabs the guy, what I felt to be an excessive amount.
1: I think everyone <laughs> in the room agreed. And and Polo looks up. Well, I'm I'm not gonna say I'm sure you have it written down. I'm not gonna let you stay with Thunder yeah, this, Go ahead and say I, it.
0: I do have this quote yep. here. <laughs> Hello, ladies. Polo's yep. charm continues to be unmatched.
1: Yeah. Wow, I was I was not expecting this to be our introduction to cleopatra like as soon as caesar steps foot in egypt like it's the second thing in my notes it's it says cleopatra time i was so excited um and then like we we meet her and she's kind of like i don't know she kind of seems like a, a teenage dirtbag almost she's just kind of like <laughs> yeah <laughs> drugged up and and real loose i almost loosey. have that exactly
0: written down
1: <laughs> oh my gosh wow incredible I guess this is what we would
3: call a subversion of your expectations. But over the course of the
1: episode she does morph into the the powerful woman that I expected to see.
2: So. Yes. Jacob, remind me when we talk like I am curious how you thought we would first see Cleopatra, but
1: Well, I I don't know like I I I know the whole history of the setting like, you know, um it is as Rome presents it. Uh I just didn't expect her to be like she's presented as very weak. I feel like she's okay. restrained to a bed and like, she's like, like out of it. And so I expected a more coherent and more immediately um, commanding or, or powerful person. Okay.
0: BP, K, your guys' uh, thoughts on Cleopatra's introduction?
1: It
3: was a little off putting for me at first, but as the episode progresses on, I think that was just to show who she had become while being captive and where she truly belongs is in that political spectrum okay
2: yeah it's um it's kind of hard for me to i guess remember what it felt like the first time i watched this depiction of cleopatra because it's you know it deviates from history a little bit even if this episode ends up in the same place basically with real history but i i guess you know you guys are reminding me it's like this is uh, you know, chained to a bed, smoking opium is uh not how the history books really depict her so much, I guess.
0: Ptolemy's advisors discuss attacking Caesar. Military guy doesn't want to. Hat guy thinks Rome will be a forgotten ruin in ten years. <laughs> Bad news, buddy. Hat guy and eunuch are coercing military guy into it. They're they're talking him into it. Hat guy wants to borrow Septimius, the guy that killed Pompey and military guy agrees. We didn't get these guys' names, so I, I had we, to come up with something for them.
1: You're, you're very correct. They are not
2: named in the episode for some reason, but I do have them down. Theodotus is hat guy, Achilles is military guy, and uh, Pontheus is the bald eunuch, but I don't think that's going to come up again.
0: I will continue <laughs> referring to them as how I've referred to them. As you okay. should. <laughs> Caesar receives a messenger from Ptolemy. The messenger is himself Septimius, which threw me off. Like, he walked in, and I was like, isn't that Septimius? But I was worried. Like, this might just be just a Roman guy. I don't know. But then, like, Posca reads the note, and I was like, no, okay. I, I was on something there. So it's like, yeah, the note says, yeah, this is the guy that killed Pompey. So here you go. His head is immediately placed on a spike. That through thread ended a lot quicker than I expected, but it ended about how I expected it to. Cleopatra is getting high. I stand by my euphoria joke. <laughs> her slave critiques her and is slapped for it. She is critiqued some more and uh, then tells the slave to throw the pipe out.
2: Well, I the the slave, the slave uh, just
0: like finesse
1: her on it.
2: Yeah, no, she she reverse psychology here. Like mm-hmm. she says, uh, you know how to beat your slaves, but you don't know how to give up the pipe. And Cleo, yeah, says get rid of it. Yeah,
1: I can quit any time. I swear.
0: <laughs> yeah, reverse psychology at its finest. Polo thinks Cleopatra is into him. Varinus tells him to keep it in his pants and Polo agrees. I wrote down, good <laughs> for him for showing restraint. Uh, I would remove it if I could, but I felt it needed to be there for posterity.
2: Alright, I'm just going to say right now, this next sequence is by far the funny. not by far, this is the funniest point of the episode for me, though, this sequence coming up.
0: Cleopatra seems to be going through withdrawal. Her slave makes a sarcastic remark about how, yeah, Caesar will find you, like, lovely Now, what with you covered in sweat and everything. Cleopatra must either seduce Caesar or die, and she does not intend to die. She wishes he was there now, because if she had sex, she would almost surely get pregnant. We then have (laughs) the most awkward stare-down I've ever seen in my life between Varinus and the slave, with Poetis looking back and forth (laughs) in confusion it's so weird and it goes on so long with no one saying anything
3: it is very ironic though that
1: cleopatra wants varinus i don't think i don't think cleopatra cares i think her slave (laughs) is just like this seems like the better one no no it's uh
2: the slave whose name is like charmion not said this episode but she thinks varinus is better because you know he's like you know maybe conventionally more handsome he's the higher ranked Mm -hmm. one and she saw polo Massacre a single man, basically. So she thinks that uh Verenus is, I don't know, the better uh, uh genes to pass on, possibly mm-hmm. and he passes the smell test, whereas Polo later doesn't. But it is very ironic though that Verenus is the most honorable and Polo's the one that wants to
3: get it on, so to speak. But anyways.
0: The uh, Varenus is taken to Cleopatra. She sniffs him because of course she does. Smells him, make sure he he smells all right. He passes the command Varenus to have sex with her. The slaves begin removing his clothes as he protests.
2: Well, uh, they're like, uh, you, you'll have coitus. And he's like, you have it wrong. Coitus means to make babies. And they're like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> You've got
1: it, Verenus. Yep.
0: And that, they have to that just look to at him and spread her legs.
1: The... That's perfect. And, and uh, I think the exact line is, so make babies. And the quick cut is to the legs just going open. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's insane. It's... <laughs> Wow.
0: Also, this scene had a, a weird thing for me that, like, I don't know if anyone else got it, and I don't think it's the thing. It just came off weird. It almost seemed like Cleopatra couldn't understand what Varinus was saying because, like, he would say something, and like the slave oh, yeah. would react to it, and then Cleopatra would react to it. Almost like the slave was like uh, speaking to Varinus and then basically translating, like. And based on later conversations, I don't think that's what was happening. It just came off as super weird.
2: I I think you know Cleopatra is partly in a stupor why she's being refused. But you're you're right, Cole. It's like uh that does have a, an odd dynamic to it.
0: Hmm. Uh, Varinus gets on top of her, then gets off and refuses. Cleopatra is angry. Verenus <laughs> continues to rack up W's at an astonishing rate.
1: But he wa- Oh, but boy was he tempted. Cleo did that foot thing and I was like I our boy Verinus is going to falter and I'm going to be <laughs> so sad Curtains. but uh...
3: I I do think though he's tempted but man Verinus knows how to hold his ground he knows how to hold his honor
2: and he knows yes. how to hold those thighs uh that shot uh <laughs> that grip um but Verinus yeah. also shows a great uh cultural relativism and respect because uh he's like as he's getting in just like this isn't right roman men are used by women in this way and it's just like that veritas <laughs> respecting different cultures you know he appreciates it mm-hmm. it's, it's great yeah um oh and then also it's like when he pauses on top of cleopatra uh charmian starts trying to push his butt into her. <laughs> <He's> like, <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my god uh cole can i can i please do the line of uh veritas walking out sure Polo, report to the Princess Cleopatra and do exactly what she says. <laughs> Out in the huff. And Polo's like, what, what's going on? Just go, go just go.
1: Me.
0: Polo continues to rack up W's of a different sort at an astonishing <laughs> rate.
1: Best day on the job for him ever. Honestly. And I'm and cute. one day on the job, he found millions of dollars worth of gold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I literally just remembered he has a girlfriend <laughs> at home. <laughs> he
3: does. This, he also did not have to pay to have sex with a woman because it was not a brothel. It was the princess of Egypt. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Uh, Q the most bizarre sex scene of the show thus far.
1: Was it bizarre or was it just good? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I don't know. The weird like... Undulating those slaves were using their voices to oh, be like, okay,
1: that was yeah. very weird. This, the, the slaves outside, like, hooping and hollering, was something. I, I, was, I was like, if I was in that moment, I would feel deeply uncomfortable. Yeah, but, <laughs> as they, did Karinus.
3: I do. I, in my notes, I said, I am fairly certain that this scene is what inspires the scene in Midsommar
2: when, uh. In Midsummer, yeah, yeah.
0: Varinus is uh, is kept awake by the sound of this, as I'm assuming is everybody in Egypt.
3: <laughs>
0: Polo returns to the tent with Varinus still awake. Polo wants to talk about it.
2: Gods, that was something. Varinus
0: emphatically never wants to talk about this again.
1: Don't want to know. What was what was your guys' read on Varinus? Because I couldn't like, I couldn't tell if he was just like deeply uncomfortable or like i i had no idea because part of it was like he was he was really tempted like is he Mm -hmm. lying here in bed uncomfortable because he's jealous Uh, that seems unlikely but maybe is he lying here uncomfortable because of the the novelty and the bizarreness of it all maybe or is he like guilty that he was even tempted in the first place i i really had no idea what it what it was but he's he he's not sleeping well he's not laying right
2: no i think it's definitely a combination of all three jacob and like mm-hmm. we know that Varinus, uh i don't know can or has been very sexually frustrated and so mm-hmm. to get all worked up and then realize he cannot do this that he has niobe back at home it's like that might be keeping him up at night a little bit
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah but uh i'm proud of our boy I know uh, honestly he just doesn't stop uh, Varinus warns polo that Caesar can never find out about this. Polo understands that and has already promised Cleopatra that he will not speak of it again. Polo and Varinus ride in disguised to Alexandria and present Cleopatra to Caesar after removing her from a rug.
2: Oh, I, I didn't uh, think that was a, a rug. Bag? Hold on. A
0: bag? I don't know what... They, they had her in some kind of, like, satchel to hide her.
2: BP, what did you think it was? I thought it was, like, a body
1: bag. Okay, Jacob, what about you? I My mind just immediately went to what I remembered from history, so I just thought, I, I I mean, it's not a rug, but like, you know, laundry or something like that, yeah. Right, that's what I had. I had laundry bag, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah, that's such a big difference from me saying uh, a bag.
2: <laughs> well, it's a, the, the rug thing is the popular myth. Mm-hmm.
0: That looked like a rug, at least. But Caesar seems immediately smitten with Cleopatra, which I was kind of surprised by, but... Hey, she's considered one of history's greatest beauties, so... Well, she
2: has, like, such a a playful and elegant introduction. Like, she gets out of the bag, she, like, brushes herself off, she, like, preens herself, and then, like, uh, again, elegantly, like, sits up and just, like, extends her hand for him to come over. And, like, I I wrote they touch knowingly, and I don't know what that knowingly means necessarily, but they both have a
1: a little glint in their eyes. Sparks fly.
0: they're on the same page. We just don't know what page that is.
1: Clea, Cleopatra, man. She knows how to turn it on. Mm-hmm. She got out of that bag. Well, we and, would agree. and I was into it. I was like, oh, hello, Cleopatra. So, you start checking your own laundry. <laughs> like, Ugh.
0: Ptolemy is playing a game with his advisors. Or just has one blindfolded and is hitting him. I'm not quite sure what the deal is there. But Caesar and Cleopatra enter. Ptolemy is scared and he runs to his throne. Cleopatra is upset but doesn't blame Ptolemy for the for what's happened to her. Instead, says it is the eunuch that turned him against her. The eunuch then blames Hat Guy. How will they solve this this mystery that only Sherlock Holmes could handle? Both are killed and their heads are placed on spikes up to Septimius's.
1: They they've got it. They growing? cracked the case, I guess. Yeah, they've got a growing collection of effigies out there. It's quite nice. I I like seeing the reactions of the townspeople
3: every time they bring out somebody's head to put on the spike. And just the con- not necessarily confused reaction, but the divisive reaction. Some are freaked out. Some seem a little... Happy with what's been going on. Some are just flat out angry. There's just
2: such divisiveness within that crowd in the reactions. I,
0: I didn't really see any happiness. I thought it was more yeah. just they were angry.
2: Yeah, no, I, I'm the same there because like literally the next scene, it's really short, but it's like a large crowd is gathering outside the doors as like the door the palace doors are braced. And I think Verena and Polo are hanging out there just uh, checking on what's working out there.
0: Yeah, because this is my funniest scene in the episode. <laughs> Varinus orders his men to get in formation after barring the door. And as he's looking through like, the, the bars outside, Polo walks up behind him and just hey. peeking over his shoulder. And he says, you as well, Polo. And Polo like, walks away in a huff and gets in formation.
1: He's got so much character. He just knows.
0: Yeah, I thought it was wonderful. Caesar and Cleopatra are discussing Calpurnia. She is his <sighs> third wife and hasn't given him a son.
2: Fellas, it's like so scummy when you're like hanging out with another guy and you know you're just talking about your partner and what she hasn't provided for you like dirtbag caesar moment come on not kid.
0: <laughs> yeah cleopatra says a man with no sons has no future
2: caesar's
0: reaction to that i thought was kind of weird he's just like thoughtful like hmm i never thought of it like that like it just seemed like a weird way to reply but then uh they move on She gives Caesar advice on how to control Egypt. He used to like take the ports. And he says, what if I don't want control of Egypt? And she says that you wouldn't be here if you didn't want to control Egypt. And it's also like why you saved me so I could be your puppet ruler. And he says, does that bother you? And she says, my wishes are immaterial. Uh, You saved me from death. So I am your slave. This woman... This woman.
1: Oh
3: my gosh. I can't wait to hear your three words. This woman, at the end of
2: this Jacob. Goddess Aphrodite. We can cut this, but she could do
1: anything to me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, Jacob's Jacob Stewarts are simping, simping, and simping. <laughs> we get a quick cut to Ver- the Verena squad standing at the ready. A cut to Caesar and Cleopatra sex scene. A cut to a random sex scene between (laughs) Servilia and Octavia.
1: Right? I'm glad you also, like, you point out the randomness of it. It seems a little misplaced. It's just like, it doesn't add anything?
0: Yeah, I was like, what? Why is this here?
1: It's thematically similar. It's thematically similar, but we... Go ahead, BP. You
0: can
3: look at it as this Caesar is wanting revenge on egypt for what how they've treated him and and the execution of pompey so he is having sex with cleopatra i don't know
1: to right. i don't agree get with that but continue yeah, no man. no
3: no here continue, hear me continue. Out. i am servilia is wanting the revenge on Atia and caesar and so is having sex with octavia no, no i'm out no i don't i don't buy any <laughs> of this
0: see when- We let you finish your sentence, but you didn't go back to any of the the stuff with Caesar and Cleopatra, which is what we took issue with.
1: Well, no, I don't I don't think either one works. Well, they could potentially there's you know, it's art. It's subjective. But uh, I mean, I think Caesar is just so much more motivated towards the fact that I think a I think first and foremost, I think it's it's just pure pleasure. He's like, there mm-hmm. is this stunning young Egyptian queen in front of me. I'm going to enjoy myself. And it's also political because Caesar is always political. And he's like, to have this woman on my side in my pocket is uh, one of the greatest powers I could possibly possess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
2: And and I would argue, like, when I say that the Servilia-Octavia love scene is thematically similar, it's servilia who is caesar's ex-lover and now enemy um taking like uh, to describe their sex scene like servilia is is the dominant one she's the one leading her sex scene with octavia in the same way that caesar is you know the one quote unquote in charge of the scene with uh with Cleopatra. And it just, I don't know, for us audience members shows development in the Servilia-Octavia relationship where Octavia uh, is submissive
1: to Servilia's will. Okay, I like that. I'll buy this. I like this character development at the least.
0: That's fair. But uh, we keep cutting in between these three scenes, but the only relevant thing that happens is that Egyptians begin to attack the Roman soldiers by throwing rocks over the walls.
3: Testudo. To the people that criticize Perfect. Return of the Jedi for Ewoks just killing stormtroopers with rocks, just know that there was somebody that did get hit with a rock and landed right on his chest. And he was armored.
0: You know, you're right, BP. I was complaining about that exact thing just the other day. But uh, I've seen the error of my ways. Anyway, Brutus and Cicero meet... Is, is it in the Senate building? That's what it looked like. Yeah, sure is. Yeah. It is. Okay. Brutus talks about how uh, he spends his nights writing bad poetry and then gives it to the cooks the next morning to use to stoke the fires in order to help uh, his guilty conscience. Cicero says, "Hey, you don't need to feel guilty. That we we did what we had to." Brutus I think gives a great reply and says, "Saturn must have felt the same when he ate his children."
1: Great. So good.
0: They uh, debate on whether Caesar will be able to escape from Alexandria because he is under siege. Cicero is concerned about what will happen if Caesar dies because then Antony will have no one to hold him back, which I think is a fairly valid fear. Yeah, we, do
1: get, we do get a really um, important moment of context where they're like, it's been a better part of a year. Oh, yes. Yeah. So we're like, oh, shoot. Caesar's been... Uh... Frolicking down in Egypt a while.
0: Brutus is not really concerned with, with Mark Antony because he's done with politics. Cicero uh, is not happy about this and tells him to stop with the the self pity and that Scipio and Cato have raised an army, so you know they could maybe join them because they they swore loyalty to Caesar, not Antony, and that seems like a weird decision on. Cicero's point point, because it's like oh yeah if Caesar were to find out about this he'll totally agree with you and be like oh yeah you did swear loyalty to me not Antony my right hand and the man who's running Rome for me there's no way this would blow back on them he's also planning on not having that confrontation occur but still
2: I And, like, um, I don't know, Cicero is, like, violently worried about Antony's rule, and I guess he pulls, like, a Howard Hamlin, like, most brilliant legal mind I ever knew. Uh, I guess Chuck McGill in this case, but, uh, like, to, to the greatest, like, lawyer in order in Rome at this point, Cicero can justify linking up with Cato and Scipio to go against Antony specifically. Like, he has to do mental gymnastics, but he can morally justify that to himself, whereas okay. Brutus cannot at the present. And then Antony interest cicero i was just thinking of you
0: yeah my first line for this is a uh, big dog enters the fray i.e <laughs> the room anthony has received happy news and wants to share with these two because they were the first two he thought of and then he i thought this was going to end up being more relevant than it was mentions the, that he was thinking about like a, a pretty spanish woman he met once and then she like he met her just in the street while he was thinking about her and then he moves on and doesn't go back to that i wasn't quite sure what that was about
2: i think that anthony is just like boasting about his luck whether that's invented or not i suppose because he, okay. he, yeah he kind of just keeps going on bloviating about himself he's like everyone misjudges me you know i'm a merciful man everyone's entitled to at least one or two mistakes
0: yeah he uh, then proceeds to give a fantastic threat to cicero about how like yeah if a, a pigeon dies in the avatine, i will hear about it like and I will hear no more words of treachery concerning you. Otherwise I will like remove your soft pink hands and nail them to the Senate doors.
2: And he's like crushing uh, Cicero's wrist at this point. They were like, you know, holding hands uh, fraternally and then uh, the crush.
0: Mm-hmm. And then he says he hopes to hear no more treachery and he starts walking away and Brutus says, didn't you have some news you wanted to share with us? <laughs> and Anthony's like, Oh yeah, I forgot Caesar has successfully taken Egypt like we we've got it now we then have a, a small cut to Ptolemy's court in the water
3: I would just like to say that I love it whenever we just see the multiple person not personalities but the multiple moods of Mark Antony he is able to switch from charismatic and kind of suave almost to just all right I'm gonna beat the living piss out of you And then he just throws back on the charm, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is the good news. He's able to just change his personality on a dime, and it's pretty
2: awesome. BP, you'll appreciate this, but, like, uh, pre-Daniel Craig, I'm pretty sure James Purifoy was in the running to be Bond back in the day, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Also, Tulami, Dead in the River, I wrote, ladies and gentlemen, we got him. We got
1: him.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I also, he was obnoxious, so, you know, I didn't like him, but he was also a child. So I think, uh, based on how it bounces out, I am ambivalent to his death. But uh, then our final scene of the episode, Caesar walks out to his troops with Cleopatra at his side. She is holding a baby. Caesar takes the baby from her and Caesar shows it to the crowd. Everybody cheers. Hail, Caesarian. Congrats, Polo. Caesar and Varinus have way more in common than I initially suspected.
1: It's my funniest moment of the episode. Yeah, because the crowd is cheering. There are audible yays, yays, and there in the crowd sits Polo, very, very exuberantly yelling, "Yay, yay!" And then Varinus gives like a look, <laughs> and he's just kind of like,
0: uh, "Yay!" <laughs> <laughs> it was a good moment.
1: All right, Cole, thanks for
2: taking the, the lead through there. Um. Man, big time jump this episode. A lot happening down, new relationships being formed. Quick vibe check from everyone here. Um, I think I I think the general mood, I think we all enjoyed this episode pretty much. Anyone else need to say anything different? I'm fond of it.
0: I thought it was a strong episode.
2: It was a good one. I take it, was it. A weird one, but I I take it that not better than last week because last week seemed to hit a certain high with a lot of us.
1: I I am not making any comments. Oh, I I don't know. That's right. Okay, but okay. I I will say. Um, I did write down that some you, you just you know use your imagination to guess when I wrote down this. Uh, <laughs> during the course of the show, I wrote down this show rules. So <laughs> who knows what scene that could apply to, but uh yeah.
0: I uh, I have my assumptions.
1: I would definitely say that this is,
3: uh, not all the not like middle of the road in terms of not good not bad more of like in terms of all the other episodes we've gotten this is definitely the most like i would if i had to rank it i would put it probably in the middle of the list it's a very solid
0: Gotcha. i was thinking that like i think this episode is great and i I could see this episode being a, a favorite for people because i feel like it matches the, like, intensity of the previous episode, but it's, like, a different kind of intensity. And just, for me personally, the the last one, like, hit me, like, more. But I, I absolutely, like, enjoyed this episode and mm-hmm. think, like, if anyone else said this one was their favorite, I would absolutely understand.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, like, I, I, I don't know. I am just such a simp for Cleopatra, I guess. But, like, <laughs> just, like, having her established and, like, now within the story, it, like... I just think she's such a good character and like she affects the the outcome of many things a lot. And it, so it's just exciting to have her here and, and see her uh, powerful and doing her thing.
2: So BP Cole, I don't have uh, nothing really specific for uh, you guys to talk about. I'll let you theorize about what do you think is going to happen in these uh, final a few episodes coming up here we are over halfway through series certainly and we also have you know this new child caesar has a son cesarean with an egyptian queen could that affect the politics or outcome uh for rome do we think um i'll let you guys speculate or theorize on whatever you want Uh, we're gonna see in our pretty near future uh before the end of the season i suppose so i'll let you guys get rolling there while jacob and i have some some
1: one-on-one time how cute Mm. Who, who's getting unravelled from the laundry bag? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> so, uh, Jacob, thoughts on depictions of history this episode? I was notes you know, myself, but I'll, I'll let you share first. I
1: feel like I am getting uh, I, I, my brain is automatically skewed to notice the things. So I'm like, oh, that's right, that's good foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't notice maybe a ton that was wrong, but um, I really loved right at the beginning the establishment of or the establishing of how important Egypt's grain is for yes. Rome because as we know later on Sextus Pompey is still around Pompey's Magnus's son and he mm-hmm. causes a lot of issues in, in the sea preventing Egypt's grain from getting to Rome and causing a lot of Roman people to go hungry and yeah. so uh, uh, if that does come up eventually in season two uh, then it, there is the precedent set
2: it's a uh, quick jump in here, Jacob. It's, I don't fully understand it, but like Rome agrarian laws very much like affected society and politics. I mean, like trying to reform agriculture is how the Gracchi got a start if I recall mm-hmm. correctly, but it's insane that the Italian peninsula apparently cannot feed the city of Rome that they yeah. have to rely on Egypt across the Mediterranean so hard to feed this splendid city. It's, um, it, it's 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 a consistent theme in history. They're not making it up that Rome needs these shipments for some reason. I I don't get it. Is it. Wild. I don't get the geography.
1: Uh there was something else. I mean, I did want to commend the uh the laundry bag that is like that's like just like, you know, they had to smuggle Cleopatra into the palace otherwise they would have killed her. Uh I mean, there was just so much that was like I just felt like so spot on and historically accurate like the potential danger of being inside the palace walls. No, I have some I have some other thoughts, but I'll let you speak okay. about what you have.
2: Sure, sure. So I liked, you know, the laundry bag, how that was a more historically accurate portrayal of Cleo meeting Caesar. And it's not so spectacular as her literally unfurling from a rug or something like that. Uh, but nonetheless, again, she has a very dazzling opening brushing herself off that I already uh, gabbed on about. Um, I also... I wanted to pick your brain about the death of Tulami. You know, we see him dead. And what I thought was a stream. Do you remember where um, Tulami had died particularly, though, Jacob?
1: Not at all. Honestly, oh, no? in my head, I thought they kept him alive for some reason. Oh, okay,
2: uh, okay. Well, uh, Tulami... Oh, God, I think we're on the 13th. Tulami the 13th, he drowned in the Nile River. And I feel like oh, what we're shown in the show, that it's... did not look like the Nile River. That looked like a little stream in some reeds, I yeah, thought. Yeah,
1: it's like... If it's the Nile, it's like a backwater channel. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah mm-hmm. um and what you had said about foreshadowing um uh Antony's threat to cicero cutting off his uh hands and nailing them to the senate door well that's some pretty good foreshadowing unfortunately <laughs>
1: pretty blatant foreshadowing yeah. perhaps did you have anything else
2: i i did have one more thing jacob i don't i i think you might have said your piece already on it but without you know the other fellows here I was curious um, how you thought Cleopatra would be truly introduced, because her chained uh, and imprisoned far away from Ptolemy—that that is not what she was actually doing in history. You know, she was, you know, independent. She, was, she wasn't in a good yeah. position, but she wasn't imprisoned by them. So, but how, how did you think she would be introduced?
1: I, I just kind of thought she'd be around, honestly. Okay. I thought, like, she would just be in the palace or around um, – what, oh, what is the name? M. Alexandria? they're in alexandria they're in alexandria of course okay yeah i just thought, kind of thought she'd be there um because you know, that's one of the first things I, I wrote down when we got to egypt it's like oh cleopatra's gonna be here like oh actually cleopatra's somewhere else okay sure uh, do you have and do you have any final thoughts i have i have one big one that okay. is uh you know it's a topic that's heavily discussed whenever talking about just history in general um i and it, it's impossible to like verify 100 but like the topic of cleopatra's ethnicity and race comes up all the time oh, right yeah, yeah and so as far as well okay so to the common viewer who are the uninformed viewer i should say mm-hmm. they they may uh cast questions over the the actress chosen to portray cleopatra because the actress is white but um and actually this is something we notice within the high all like the upper level people of e- egyptian uh the monarchy i guess yeah the court uh, yeah exactly they're all white and like the servants and the workers are all black and this is because this is basically a regime that was installed by rome uh oh
2: it's uh, right? the macedonians Macedonians. Actually, the macedonians. okay yeah, i knew yeah. they're
1: macedonian and i'm like is is macedonia is that something of rome i don't know uh But but even then, it's still like 100% impossible to prove if uh, Cleopatra was black because the the lineage of like, you know, the families, it's so hard to trace and there's so much. uh, Yeah, it goes back
2: 100 years or more than 100 years. Yeah. yeah,
1: And it's but they it's very incestuous as well. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's really tricky. Did I ever recommend you? Did I ever send you a video? By, i might know the video is it like this british it's uh, by lady? this lady called lady of the library yes i i yeah. saw this yeah it's, yeah it, so i mean if you are curious about this topic you audio listener um the the ethnicity of cleopatra and the Ptolemies, uh that video is fantastic and she like goes into all the research and all and all the details and it rules and it's like it's only 16 minutes i think it's it's great Yeah. And so um for the most part i would think i would uh, as far as we know i'd like to give commendations to the series for getting the casting right yeah and i think that was it um yeah that's all, all right. i got all right all right oh wait no we have to talk about uh uh polo fathering the child instead of caesar oh okay yeah that's yeah. just like i mean again impossible to substantiate some random soldier being the actual father but just probably not right
2: yeah it's um it's weird. Like, I've only read one biography dedicated to Cleopatra by Adrian Goldsworthy, who normally does Roman history, and Goldsworthy contends that Cleopatra probably only had sex with Caesar and Mark Antony in her life. Those were her only two partners. Whoa. And, and like, there's definitely some people uh, who portray cleopatra very differently that she uh Mm -hmm. used her sexuality to seduce the most powerful men uh in the world and like i i hear that generalization i cannot cite a specific example and some of them they come across as like really really weird and sexist uh sexist like i'm gonna cut this one but there's like one thing i saw that cleopatra and
1: yeah yeah
2: yeah have you heard that before i've
1: heard of that okay
2: okay yeah so it's like she's like weirdly hypersexualized. By by some and, and by me. again,
1: hey, yo. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's two
2: thousand years ago, so it's hard to substantiate. But uh, as as far as a solid list of lovers that I'm aware of, it is Caesar and Mark Antony. And uh, she was only ever married, otherwise, to her children siblings who mm-hmm. died not too long after their marriages. And I guess kind of made to Anthony,
1: but yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was definitely the final thing I had to say. So we're okay, good now. Okay.
2: Yeah. No, no, that was a good point. Um, We will close these. I
3: said a couple episodes ago where, who we thought, who I thought was going to die at the end of season one. And after this episode, just because I am believing that uh, Caesar hooking up with, Cleopatra is not going to set well for many Romans. I'm not saying this will be the, the, the final straw, so to speak, for the Romans. But I believe that this season, after much thought, I do believe that this season is going to end with Caesar's demise. And I think this is the beginning of the end for him, whether he realizes it or not.
0: He uh, pretty much summed up my thoughts. About, oh, he also shared that I, he's curious about... Uh... Because he thinks Mark Antony is going to turn on Caesar. And he wonders when that's going to happen. I Sorry, don't BP, you happen. think that Mark yes. Antony
2: is going to turn on... Okay, okay. Gotcha. I do.
0: I do not believe that will happen. I think Mark Antony is going to be Caesar's boy all the way to
1: the end.
2: Okay. Uh, Cole, did you have any other thoughts about uh, endgame of season one? What might? It, what else may occur?
1: Uh-oh. That is a frozen Cole. <laughs> like he's a <laughs> popsicle. <laughs> <laughs> someone threw his webcam unless this is very
2: theater. avant-garde theater
1: yeah <laughs> this needs to stay in the episode <laughs> no this is terrible <laughs> content this is oh
0: did i get i got robotty again didn't i
1: no you completely froze and we heard
2: <laughs> yeah. nothing yeah oh, okay excellent so cole did did you have any other guesses as to uh the end game of what may occur for the rest of season one
0: not really with season one i just uh okay. I'm curious about what's going to happen with Cesarean, and I was also surprised at how quickly Ptolemy both entered and exited the show. I thought he was going to stick around a little longer. I knew how he was going to go out, generally, but I thought it was going to take longer than one episode.
2: Okay. Okay. Jacob, would you care to share three words to describe a new character on our scene?
1: Tolemy, No, Cleopatra. Yes, uh, my queen. <laughs> excuse me, I mean Egyptian queen. <laughs> Cleopatra. Yeah, so? uh, my three words for her, and you, I mean, you'll be blown away by these words. They don't. They are so surprising. She is seductive. She is powerful. She is indulgent. Good.
0: Oh, good I, three I, words. I like those. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of expecting the word vivacious.
1: Oh.
2: Uh, look at look at Cole here. I see that thesaurus. Okay. Um, <laughs> hey. We'll get into our favorites and least favorite moments in the episode, guys. Didn't check this beforehand. Who's got a least favorite moment? I do. I also have a least favorite moment.
0: Oh. One of these
2: days. We'll get through it. But okay. Um, we'll go with Cole, BP, then Jacob.
0: All right. Mine, uh, I dislike it less now that we... We had some conversation about it, but my least favorite was the random sex scene between Servilia and Octavia because I just I thought it was there for no reason. But uh, upon the conversation about uh, establishing like the power dynamics and like kind of the the parallels with the uh, Caesar and Cleopatra, I I dislike it less. I still feel like it was weird though.
2: Okay, BP.
3: My least favorite moment is in general, even though I don't have a problem with where it ended up going just cleopatra's whole introduction uh not necessarily that it was bad it was just so out there and especially when she tries to get varinus to sleep with her Verena i i like the scene for varinus because he shows that he is so honorable even as he was tempted but i was just like this is just such a bizarre
1: way to introduce cleopatra (laughs) jacob do you just want to share yours yeah. Um my least favorite scene is gonna surprise you guys. You, you you guys are never gonna see this coming. It is the entire sex scene. Um, because I I was sitting there and then all of a sudden it I just thought to myself, huh? I am alone. Albeit <laughs> <laughs> mostly out of choice. But I was like, man, man. Um, but I, I also I this is I don't know this is like totally isn't relevant at all but I started thinking about the Frank Ocean song Pyramids which is like this 9 minute long epic it's great but it like in the refrain it's constantly mentioning Cleopatra and when I think of this scene set to this song I'm like oh yeah this rules so there you go that the my least favorite check uh, the great
2: wilds on YouTube for a music video coming up <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: All right, guys. Well, we will get into our favorite moments coming up here. Um, I'll go ahead and take the lead here. My favorite moment was uh, the scene towards the end between Brutus and Cicero and Antony meeting. To rehash part of it, uh, Brutus, he comes across very charming in his self-deprecation of his poetry. And he uh, talks about his struggles with a guilty conscience and how he wants to get out of politics and everything. Uh, Cicero is encouraging him to stay in. He has a responsibility to Caesar and they cannot allow Antony to hold power if caesar should die in egypt and then anthony shows up like a cartoon villain but he's a sadist um and he is back to his uh uh like episode two peak of reveling in power and evil deeds. He remarks about how lucky, how blessed he is, how blessed Caesar is. He's a prodigy, is what he says. Mm -hmm. And uh, that Antony makes clear, he knows everything that happens in the city. And then as he's holding Cicero's hands, Cole, you had mentioned this, he comments on how soft and pink they are. And if you read into the subtext, he's calling Cicero, he's not a warrior. These are not the hands of a violent warrior that can defeat me. If you cross me, Uh, you are losing them nailed to your precious Senate's door. Uh, So Antony, he's got that vial in him again and uh, barking up big, Uh, but who has got a favorite scene that they want to share.
1: I do. I have a favorite scene. It is one of the first scenes. Um, In this scene, I believe we see the final actualization of the character that is Gaius Julius Caesar Um, This is uh, apparently a fan favorite scene from what uh, Kay has informed. Uh, This is where Caesar discovers or or learns of Pompey's assassination by the Egyptians. Because uh, we see Caesar's furious and genuine anger and sadness to see this, this pillar of Roman society be killed in such this unspectacular and such barbaric way and i i think it really demonstrates to illustrate uh, julius caesar's like belief in rome and the 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 republic like he he's not just or he wasn't just going to war with pompey just for a selfish power grab he he genuinely wanted to be put in power so he could better the city And um, he the thing he cares about, first and foremost, is the city of Rome. And so when he sees someone who he worked with, who was regarded as one of the greats. Right. That's a Magnus. Right. That's what that means. Yep. Or. Yeah. Right. To see him be cut down so mercilessly uh, and to see his rage. uh, It just really makes you realize uh, how genuine Caesar's intentions are. And I, it's just great, and the crying because his his friend has died. It's uh, it's good. It's it's just we we. I feel like we finally see Caesar as a person
2: jacob you made me realize as well it's like uh when caesar's line he was a consul of rome the assassination of pompey is in of itself an affront to rome that he you know had achieved these great heights and it's not just he killed a dear friend it's an insult to the republic that he represented that
1: caesar nominally represents as well so Mm -hmm. good good point absolutely like reason to go to war with egypt if he so desired Mm
3: -hmm. i my favorite I had two favorite scenes. I was going to, that I had one as a backup just in case my favorite scene got shared. And what do you know? Both of my favorite scenes got shared first. So I had a third scene ready to go just in case. Wow. Uh, my third one is when Cleopatra first arrives in Egypt and orders the execution of the eunuch and hat guy. And the reason I like that scene so much is because it shows that Cleopatra knows how to own a room. Like, she comes in, and she, when the eunuch is begging for his life, she just says, no, I'm just going to get rid of both of you. Just kill two birds with one stone. And what a power move.
0: My, uh favorite scene was also uh caesar's reaction to pompey's death it was a it was a great one i don't really have anything to add that uh, wasn't already said by yeah, jacob sorry Darlene. i
1: waxed poetic for quite a while about it my apologies no it was to
0: my benefit you said it a lot better than i would have
1: <laughs> so me just saying
2: uh
0: he said what i was thinking makes me sound way smarter than i would have sounded.
2: <laughs> all right well, gentlemen, thank you for sharing here. Now we'll get into everyone's uh, most stressful moment of the episode, which is our quiz time. I definitely
3: thought for a second when you said most stressful moment, I was like, wait, we had to prepare that too?
1: Oh. <laughs> um,
2: all right. So our current standings in the points, Jacob in the lead with 25.5, BP at 24, Cole at 21. Uh, BP, you will be answering first with this lead in points. We got five questions here, gents. Question one, which best describes the ethnicity of the Ptolemaic dynasty, Greek slash Macedonian, Persian, Egyptian, or Carthaginian? BP, this is yours to answer first. C, Egyptian. They are Egyptian. All right, Cole, how about you?
0: I'm going to go with A, but my backup is B. If it ends up being B, I, I I lose. I'm just saying that's what I was thinking.
2: Oh, okay. So, Cole saying Greek/Macedonian. How about you, Jacob? The Ptolemy dynasty
1: was installed by Macedonians.
2: All right. Uh that is correct, Jacob, and uh and Cole, uh they are Greek/Macedonian. Now, let's not uh, get too hasty with this. Ptolemy the Thirteenth was the Thirteenth in a long line of Ptolemies. Who was the first Ptolemy? This relates back to this question. Ptolemy was a Greek colonizer who conquered Egypt. He was the son of a Macedonian warlord who conquered Egypt. He was a general of Alexander the Great who was governing Egypt, uh, or he was the son of Alexander the Great who had inherited Egypt. Which uh, the first Ptolemy was what? Cole, yours to answer first.
0: I am gonna say C.
2: All right, he was a general of Alexander the Great. How about you, BP? I guess D. Guessing he was the son of Alexander the Great and inherited Egypt. And how about you, Jacob?
1: I I think I also believe he was a general of the Great. Okay, so
2: we have... Uh, Colin Jacob receiving points once again. The first Ptolemy was a general of Alexander the Great, who at the time of Alexander's death wa- was governing Egypt and rolled that into uh, becoming Pharaoh. All right. By the end of this episode, Ptolemy the 13th is shown drowned in a stream. But what was the true fate of Ptolemy the 13th? He was imprisoned by Cleopatra for the rest of his life. He was executed and head on a pike in Alexandria. He was captured by the Romans and paraded around Rome in a triumph before being executed. or... Or he drowned in the Nile River. BP, this will be yours to answer first. And this, I'm gonna guess D, drowned in the Nile. All right. How about you, Cole? All right. I have a couple
0: things to say. Firstly, I'm glad I kept my mouth shut because after the first question, I was gonna talk because I I know a little bit because I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure like it, it, they were Macedonian because like Alexander the Great's like general was like like I had that whole thought and then the <laughs> question showed up and I was like, oh, and this one. Uh, I also think it's D. BP might be getting that from me based on the conversation we had in the breakout room.
2: Oh, uh, Okay, okay. So Cole, also saying he drowned in the Nile River. What about you, Jacob? I'm gonna abstain because I think you straight up told me in our
1: history segment.
2: <laughs> fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. All right. BP and Cole receiving points for drowning in the Nile River. I guess I guess we were all cheating in the breakout room. Mm-hmm. Uh, who doesn't
1: yeah, though? I, uh, I doesn't, might have not. M- mommy and Daddy.
0: I missing. <laughs> I thought I thought there was also a thing about like him like. He got eaten by crocodiles, but I wasn't sure if that was real or that was like a historical fiction thing.
2: Um, I, don't, I don't think I've heard that one, but that does sound comical. Awesome. Being um, in that sounds aisle. metal. So we are on to question four here. In the Alexandrian war, Caesar is commonly blamed for burning what structure to the ground? The Lighthouse of Alexandria, the Library of Alexandria, the Temple of Ra, or the Royal Palace? Cole, yours to answer first. What is Caesar commonly blamed for uh, infernoing?
0: I'm going to say B.
2: The Library of Alexandria. All right. Uh, BP. I'm also going to guess B. Library of Alexandria and Jacob. I think he burned down the library. That is correct. It is, from what I understand, Caesar only burned down part of the library of Alexandria, but is commonly cited for burning down the whole thing. All right, guys. This last question is, is, it's a lot. I've never asked a question like this. Um, and uh, Jacob, you have no extra help from D-O-T-R-R here. So, Verena and Polo hang out in front of a giant head statue in the Egyptian desert that reminded me of a poem. Jacob, you're going off there. Is this is this confidence or? I already know it, I already know Okay, it. oh, okay, okay. Uh, what is the name of this poem, which I will read? Uh, the poem's name comes up in this poem, which I will not say. Forgive me. Um, I haven't rehearsed this in a sec, but I'm going to try my best. It's a great poem. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert, near them, on the sand, Half sunk in a shattered visage lies, whose frowned and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command. Tell that its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survive, Stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them, and the heart that fed, And on that pedestal these words appear, My name is king of kings look upon my works ye mighty and despair nothing beside remains round the decay of that colossal wreck boundless and bare the lone and level sands stretch far away so what is the name of this poem uh whose name would be inserted here my name is blank king of kings this is poem called ramses ozymandias xerxes or alexander bp your stance first thank god for the best episode of television to ever exist my answer is b Mandius. okay That'd how about you joke.
0: Uh, i was gonna say uh, uh i love the watchman b <laughs> <laughs> All
2: right. um and jacob what about you i
1: love osmosis jones
2: <laughs> <Ozzymandias>. <laughs> all right we got it all right glad we know our poetry fellas um yes uh i'm curious how did you guys learn about this poem because me myself personally i think it was breaking bad ozymandias that first turned me on to it bp same for you it was ozymandias because the imdb trivia said
3: when i first watched the episode and i just remember it distinctively saying the title ozymandias comes
2: from the poem and it means king of kings uh cole did is this from Watchmen? legit is that the first time you've heard of this
0: uh, I think so because like one of the characters named Ozymandias, and I'm pretty sure they make an allusion to what it's from. And then like I somewhere just like along my my path in life later, I came across that information. But I I was surprised. I actually knew like knew the answer to like every one of these questions. So I'm I'm happy.
2: Yeah, uh, Jacob. What about you? Your prior experience with the poem?
1: I think it's just been too many years spent on the internet. Yeah, like I knew is the name of the Breaking Bad episode. But uh, I, I, can't, it's impossible to trace when I encountered it first.
2: Have you guys actually seen the the Brian Cranston read reading this poem trailer for the season five of Breaking Bad? No. It <laughs> is, it is nothing short of epic. You guys need to watch that afterwards. It is incredible. Um, but okay, uh, with that, guys, we will get onto the outro here. Next week, we are going to be watching and discussing HBO's Rome, Season 1, Episode 9, Utica. You can tweet your thoughts about the show to at dotrrpod on Twitter. If you want to learn more about the real history, roughly the second half of Death of the Roman Republic, Chapter 13, Grudge Match and Affairs in Alexandria and Africa, we'll cover that. Although, if you listen to the whole episode, you might uh, spoil events from Utica itself. Please leave a rating on Apple Podcasts if you are able to. And my fellow hosts, do you have anything to promote this week?
1: My name is Jacob. Follow me on Twitter, figure it out. Follow me on YouTube, figure it out. <laughs> Turning a little hostile there. <laughs> Very aggressive.
2: Permission to treat the witnesses hostile.
1: <laughs>
0: Next.
3: Follow me on Letterboxd. I think I've said the username plenty
2: of times. <laughs> we're just we're just being mean. Uh, if you're listening, I, I will say if you're listening to this, you know, week to week, you know, it might be hard to remember, fellas. yeah i was just doing it as a joke bpl's full 98 i'll be nice today
0: today Uh, you can follow (laughs) me on twitter uh at lil that's l-i-l underscore b-o-r-t-y
1: let's wrap this son of a gun yeah okay i was
0: like are we are we waiting for something i was waiting for the cue to start the outro (laughs) Uh, am, am i good to go there's just a lot of not talking happening i give you permission okay thank you jesus
1: he's not in the show yet
0: and he never will be <laughs> with all that being said friends romans countrymen i hope you enjoyed the show
1: Thank mm-hmm. you.